Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. Virtus tentamine gaudet. Virtue rejoices in the challenge. Before there was modern psychology, there was discernment. And this means trying to see what is motivating me, trying to look underneath what I'm drawn to and see what it is that I am drawn to and why I'm drawn to it. Perhaps my motivation is good. Perhaps it isn't. Perhaps I am motivated to move towards the good, but I'm motivated to move towards it for the wrong reasons. Or discernment also shows us that perhaps my concept of what is good isn't large enough. An examine is a particular form of discernment in which one reflects usually on one's day, on one's motivations, on one's actions, and how they were shaped um, by one's encounter with the true and the good and the beautiful in the day. In an examine, you even look at your failures and see how that might be turned towards good the next day. So today, On this podcast, I want to do what I'm calling a literary examine. I want to think and reflect with you on many questions. Some of them, I'll I'll offer you my own thoughts, and sometimes the questions will simply have to be answered by you. In this podcast, I want to talk to you about fear. I want to talk to you about faith. I want to talk to you about sophistry. I want to talk to you about laxity and rigidity. In my own family, extended family, sorry guys, there are some who think that my book choices for my kids are too lax, probably, probably, I think. And there are some in my family that think that my offerings are too stodgy, too stuffy, I think, probably. I think they assume that. I don't think they, I don't think those folks even listen to my podcast. That's okay. (laughs) Right? So there's that. But I've also spoken to people in the past six months uh, that show us the full range, right? Which is, I let my kids read anything they want. And we can always talk about it. We're always open for a conversation. That's one end. And then the other end is people who are extremely careful. I mean, very scrupulous about what they let their children read. And they mostly let their children read books that are published a long time ago and are, um, and or books that are explicitly faith-based. Of course, if you've listened to a few episodes of Bright Wings Children's Books, you will notice that I don't think every book is equal and that, and I don't think that all books are worth reading, perhaps. I am not of the camp that says your child should be able to read anything they want as long as you two can talk about it. I do think it is important that I think it's vital that our books be psychologically age appropriate for our children. Throughout the episodes of this podcast, there's probably an emphasis on that, on on curating books for your children and being wise about what they're reading. And I emphasize probably that aspect of discernment because there's just so much junk being published. Junk that is vacuous, but junk also that is pernicious. But I also want to point out that publishing junk is not a problem that's exclusive to our era. You can still have junk that was published in the 60s and 70s and 50s. I had a conversation with a mom 
I was recommending the book Swallows and Amazons by Arthur Ransom to her for her daughter, who's 11. The story concerns four children who are vacationing in the Lake District in a in a rented home with their mother, who has a baby, and they ask her permission to to camp out and sail around on the lake, camp out on an island for a few weeks and sail on the lake. And because their father is away, I think he's a ship captain, they they ask him permission to do this. And he sends back a telegram because there's been some concern expressed about drowning. He he sends back permission by saying, if not duffers will not drown, which is to say, if they're not fools, they won't drown. And well, if they are fools, then better let them drown. It's a joke. Okay, so when I suggested Swallows and Amazons, the mother said, well, she'd thought of that book, but when she read it, she didn't like how the dad responded. That was something that she didn't like about the book, which ruled it out as a literary option for her 11-year-old. When she told me this, I was stunned. (laughs) Frankly, I was stunned. And I just said, wow, you are such a gentle person. Very gentle. And perhaps really this was the wisest choice for this child. Maybe Swallows and Amazons, that aspect of it would have harmed this child. Maybe she wouldn't have been able to make sense of that remark by the dad. So it got me thinking, what is framing my decision making? What are the assumptions which inform my decision making? Not only how do we decide what's appropriate, is it a good book or isn't it? But what motivates us? Is one of my predominant motivators a fear of harm? Are we motivated out of a desire for protection for our children? Are we motivated in our literary decision-making for our child by a desire to equip our children? Are we motivated by excitement about the good? If we notice that fear of harm or that a fear of the culture underlies our literary choices, what we let our, that is like what we let our children read. Uh, of course, if, if you're afraid, right, you may feel justified. Like you right now, as you're listening to me, if, if you notice this, you may start pointing out examples of what you're worried about. You might point out examples of what's wrong with the world or of what's gone wrong in children's literature, uh, of the kind of propagandistic books that are being published, right? Or ways other kids have gone off the rails after careful parenting, and you've decided that you're going to be even more careful, more selective. But here's the thing. Here's the rub. I feel like this approach assumes an implicit definition of the good. What is the good? The good is that which does no harm. But that's a pretty weak, pretty impoverished standard of the good, right? In fact, it's a standard of the good that leaves what it is to what is bad and the absence of it. But as we all know, like most of us know who are thinking about these kind of things, that actually evil is the privation of good. Evil is parasitic of the good, not the other way around. That's a much braver conception of the good. Children are more than the sum of their inputs. I think sometimes we assume that they are. And if we can only control and protect them from negative inputs, they'll turn out well. 
And certainly, you must know by now that I am all about age-appropriate reading. But certainly by now, let's, let's have a robust understanding of the good. What is keeping me from throwing my net widely? What prevents me from trusting another person's book lists? What prevents me from trusting an author? What prevents me from trusting my child? If all these ideas about trusting someone make your skin crawl, I'd look into that. There's risk in all relationships. I remember from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's asked about Aslan. Is he safe? And they say, oh, no, he's not safe, but he's good. I wonder, are you convinced that the good is truly stronger than evil? I wonder, are you convinced that the good is truly preferable to evil? I think we really need to get to the bottom of that. I'm wondering, what kind of faith do we have? When we point to the problems in the culture and the problems within children's literature, I think sometimes as an excuse for being very um, selective, highly, you know, more controlled about what we allow our children to read, sometimes I think that is actually at the bottom of it, that we fear that the good is not as satisfying as evil. We are so afraid of the glamour of evil. And maybe perhaps we ourselves are not convinced that the that good is truly preferable to evil. I was talking about this whole knot of questions with a friend of mine. And she said, yeah, yeah, there's kind of a humility to the good. And so that is a true question, right? There's a kind of humility to the good. And that contrasts sometimes sharply with sort of the glamour of evil. And here's where I want to bring up the concept of sophistry. The sophists were Greeks denounced by Socrates and Aristotle. They used rhetoric, logic, and philosophy to make the weaker argument the stronger. They did. They used logic and rhetoric and philosophy in order, without love for the truth, without regard for the truth. D.C. Schindler says, sophistry is indifferent to content, and this indifference prevents it from integrating what it knows into a well-ordered and meaningful whole. Sophistry can know this or that, but it cannot see how these things hang together or how they fit into the cosmos because to do so would require genuine knowledge of the good. And for sure, we see this in a lot of children's literature that uh, the weaker argument is made to be the stronger, that there are these appeals to the passions. What are we to do then? What are we to do in the face of the humility of the good and in, in the glamour of evil? as I'm calling it. Aristotle says in the Nicomachean Ethics book two, that from their very earliest age, children should be brought up to be delighted in what is good and to be pained by what is bad and that this is right education. We know, we know we need to calibrate and attune our children's desires. From the earliest ages, we need to be putting bites of the good life on their plate. We need to be giving them tastes of the highest things. We need to be giving them tastes of what Aristotle says, the blessed enjoy. These tastes calibrate and attune our children to what should pleasure them and what should pain them. That's why board books and picture books matter because they give them a grounding in what is and what is good. Board books are not just a throwaway category of children's literature. Although fair enough, sometimes it gets so chewed up and dog-eared that you do literally have to throw them away. (laughs) 
But I love this notion of giving them tastes from the very earliest ages of what the blessed enjoy. And here is also a notion that the older they get, the more food they can handle and the more they can chew and the more discerning their palate is going to be. We want to enable maturation. And so we feed our babies real food purees, but we feed our big kids. Well, we don't feed them purees. We feed them the good food that needs to be chewed. And here's another thing when we're confronted with the relative humility of goodness. And perhaps it's because I'm a galvanizer and I'm a promoter, but I think it is the role of parents to galvanize and promote the good. Not because the good needs to be oversold, not because the good isn't stronger than evil, because you need to be a sophist for the good. I'm not saying that. I actually think that we, because of the humility of the good, especially in the face of so much marketing, <coughs> sophistry, of of books that are not so great, that that we do need as parents to be promoting the good books so that the good can be seen, so that the good can be seen for what it is. Perhaps also, it's not that we don't think that the good is stronger than the bad, but that perhaps we're concerned, we fear that we don't have the time or the brains to talk to our kids about what they're reading. If perhaps you think that, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I do. I do. I do know what to tell you. I think it's a lie. I have a poster hanging in my laundry room, which was given to me. It reads, God gave those little children to you, mama. No one else can mother them like you can. You may have your work cut out for you, but you're the one cut out to accomplish it. I guess I don't want you to feel afraid and I don't want you to feel safe. I want you to feel confident. I want you to be brave. And I want you to parent from a a place of courage and to choose children's literature from a place of courage. So let's mend our nets and put out into the deep. I want us to be able to throw our nets wide. I want us to be able to trust each other, to trust, uh, to have a community that we can trust as well. Of course, there are no perfect books. One of the points of a book is plot. You don't get a plot if you don't have a problem. And flat books won't teach our children wisdom. We want confident brave, equipped children, children who can, who, who are confident in the good, who have become attuned to reality, children who are wise, subtle, discerning thinkers, who are learning and living that virtue is a mean between two extremes. As of the publication of this podcast, about 2.4 billion people are going to be entering a season of Lent the goal of which is to become more self-aware, more discerning, um, to give up certain things so that their true value might be rediscovered. Let us not be motivated by fear. Love casts out fear and rejoices in the truth wherever it is found. Virtus tentamine gaudet. Virtue rejoices in the challenge.